Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 69. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Doing alright. Doing alright. We also have Ryan joining us today. How are you, Mr. Ryan? Still sick. I don't think you were sick last week, so... No, I mean from five minutes. Five minutes ago. Well, people aren't going to understand that. Okay. Uh, Today we have a great show lined up. First we'll be speaking with directors Mike Lerner and Maxim Pozdrovkin on their new film Pussy Riot, A Punk Prayer, which is premiering on HBO next Monday, June 10th. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching, followed by our 2013 summer movie predictions. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. I feel like saying Pussy Ride a Punk Prayer is almost a tongue twister. It's, uh, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Especially because I said, like, is premiering. Mm-hmm. Pussy Ride a Punk Prayer is premiering. Got that alliteration going. Yeah. Uh, first off, let's go ahead and have a conversation with Mike Lerner and Maxim Pozdrovkin about Pussy Ride, A Punk Prayer, premiering on HBO June 10th. Welcome to the show. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, before we get into the film, Mike, I noticed that you're credited with producing five documentaries this year. My first question is, how the hell do you have time for all that? <laughs> well, good question. Well, they, 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 we, don't, we don't make them all at once. I mean, they, they just kind of seem to all come to fruition uh, at the same time and and my involvement mm-hmm. is is greater and lesser in, in some i mean i mean we've got five we've got these five films at uh, at sundance in fact uh, sorry, at, at sheffield i beg your pardon and uh, in fact i've got a, another couple have just come along as well but um but they've all been projects that we've had on the go for sort of two or three years and have finally um sort of come together i mean pussy right has actually been the latest and quickest of them all i mean we started this back in uh, last february uh and it was and it was and it was done for the you know within the year it, we 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 finished the film more or less so so surprisingly that this is actually the last last latest of them but the 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 one that's uh, obviously we're we're focusing on at this moment. Now, how did you guys come together and decide to make this film? Well, uh, I grew up in Moscow, and so I had uh, happened to be there for another film project, and Mike and I. We're old friends, and we liked each other immediately because we both are lefty, politically speaking. We like to talk about politics. We like to talk about art. And so we came across each other in Moscow. We're both interested in the story. And so... Uh, I, I started making the film in March, and um, you know when the uh, girls were arrested. And uh, yeah, fortunately, Max was uh, just happened to be in Moscow during the trial. So, and I needed a, a friendly Russian to... <laughs> Mm. out so yeah and yeah when as and as max said you know we've got a lot of a lot of politics and and culture in common so we we found a, a, a you know a, a, and we you know our, our outlook on the film is, is obviously very close and, and very similar we wanted the same thing so it's been a very uh you know productive relationship i think yeah um i want to step back for just a second uh maybe you guys can tell us uh, for our listeners who aren't aware who is pussy riot and why should an American audience be aware of who they are? Because they're probably the most exciting story of, uh, of last year. Uh, but they're a feminist art collective that, um, that stages guerrilla performances, uh, a feminist art collective that stages guerrilla performances um, of political numbers. And one of those, their fifth performance inside Russia's biggest cathedral, uh, landed them um, in a whole lot of trouble. They were put on trial, and two of them are currently mm-hmm. jailed. And it's uh, it's just their story of our time in many ways. Right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's, if Joan of Arc had two sisters, jo- Janet and Jean, I mean, I, I think they're, you know, they are, they have become this symbol of, of you know, uh, the current sort of crisis in democracy in Russia at the moment. I mean, they've borne the brunt of these, fairly recent uh kind of crackdowns on 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 uh, protest and and freedom of expression that you know have characterized this sort of third term of putin's government so you know they you know they they they've come to symbolize that that this whole moment i mean there are other op- uh, uh, um uh, opposition uh politicians who have also been either of being jailed or 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 facing very serious uh, prison sentences for their 
temerity to, to sort of speak out against uh, Putin. But uh, obviously, Pussy, as Max says, Pussy Riot are the most famous performance artists in the history of performance art, I would say. And um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, and rightfully so. They, I think they symbolize, as I say, this, this, current, this current crisis, really, in Russia. And they also just symbolize, in general, a feminist revolution, more widely speaking. You know, we were speaking yesterday with um, Katya, one of um, the members of Pussy Riot, and, and you know, she, she was asked about that, and she says, you know, well, we're, we're against the system as such as it exists. You know, if it wasn't Putin, it'd be Ivanov or it'd be someone else. And I think that there are people, very young idealists, uh, serious political activists who really just want to transform their societies. And the 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 three main subjects of the film it should be noted that they're not the only members of Puss, pussy riot right there's like eight or nine members yes at that's any right given it's, time. A collect, it's a collective but it's an anonymous collective so it's much more of an idea so very um so it's a shifting it's a shifting number of members uh shifting sense of different degrees of participation etc now i want to talk about like the the actual performance that got them in trouble so they did several performances, uh, and the individual members also did demonstrations and performances with other groups. Uh, but it wasn't really until they performed at the, the Cathedral of Christ the Savior that they were arrested. So my question is, is it more offensive to Russians for someone to speak out against the government uh, or the church, or is there really no distinction between the two? Yeah, I mean, the trouble they ran into was when they uh, basically offended the sensibilities of the patriarch, patriarch Kirill, who's the you know the Russian Pope essentially, and as you say, they performed these other, perhaps even more outrageous uh, performances. The, the orgy they performed at the biology yeah. museum would be something that would get anybody into trouble, but they were sort of largely ignored and 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 packed off with a sort of fifteen dollar fine. But, but yeah, they offended the um, the the church uh, and the church leaders in particular and and it, and it was him in particular that really whipped up this this reaction and uh, after their bail hearing that he they called a, a day of a day of prayer to protest a day of prayer action really uh, to to protest against the women and a uh, hundred thousand people show up at the cathedral to be told how uh, you know insulted they'd been because of course none of these hundred thousand people had seen this punk prayer or knew really of its content but you know, he informed them that they, the church had been insulted, that blasphemy had been carried out, and that they need to be punished with the full force of the law. So, and I don't agree with that, Max, but I think you know, without his pushing yeah. the story, no, definitely, the, the patriarch was very much the catalyst. And it's also about, I think, that the nature of the crime, because here they were able, they essentially they were charged with a hate crime for trespassing and doing all these other things, and where they weren't allowed to go. And in a way, it it mobilized the church forces you know just two weeks ago there was a new anti-blasphemy law passed so if pussy riot had done something you know when they had done it there were still procedural violations uh, in place that had that gives them more of a chance in terms of during the appeal but right now just two weeks ago there was a blasphemy law passed about offending the um, the feelings of believers so in which case it had this case happened this year there, there would already be an exact. Essentially, some people are calling it the pussy riot law in place to protect uh, believers. So I think, for in the short term, the church has really used this effectively to um, to extend more power and to make the government less secular, to make the constitution and the legal code less secular in Russia. So, am I to the way that? And forgive me because I don't know a whole lot about uh, the Russian government and what what happens there but this cathedral that they performed in was originally torn down mm -hmm. and they made it into a public swimming pool and then later uh when was it like in the 70s that they rebuilt it no they rebuilt it after the, yeah. it was uh, it was the cathedral that was always symbolic uh, symbolic it was built after the napoleonic war in 1812 and it was kind of a national cathedral since it was russia's biggest cathedral i it was also the pinnacle of bolshevik anti-religious reforms, and so it was demolished. Uh, and then, after the, uh, the collapse of communism, it, in 95, uh, end of 95, it began to be rebuilt. And some oh. people saw it as illegitimate when it began to be rebuilt. So it's actually a very controversial place for other reasons, because it also has this underground parking lot and car wash inside and a restaurant <laughs> attached. So for some people, it's this 
epitome of restored grace and restored orthodoxy. And for other people, it's uh, it's you know basically a, a kitsch shopping mall equivalent of a once great place. Mm. So essentially, there there really is no separation between church and state in Russia. Well, hmm, I don't know what Mike uh, thinks about this. I mean, for me, I, I feel like that actually, because the, the people that tend to run the government, they're still coming from an older generation of um, essentially people that had some connection with the Communist Party. Uh, the government itself is made up of fairly secular people, but they've financed a tremendous amount of church policy because of the because it benefits them in terms of promoting nationalist policy. And, you know, one of the first things that the women say in the film in response to what don't they like about Putin, it's the nationalism that he promotes. And it's a, t it's a particular kind of nationalism that uses orthodoxy to its advantage. Mm, yeah, it's, I see. it's important to remember that Kirill uh, welcomed Putin's re-election as a miracle from God, you know, and, and, and clearly the church delivers not only votes, but, you know, financial support as well and... And, you know, they, they suit each other. I mean, although, as we said before, Kirill drove this thing, you know, it suited Putin, who himself was also suffering from, you know, a certain degree of, of PR trouble back, back then. And, you know, there was controversy over those elections. And, of course, there were mass protests on the streets of Moscow at that time as well and, and elsewhere. And so, you know, he jumped on this bandwagon, too. And, and I think in the sh very short term, I think that's, that's benefited him because I think the majority of people think Pussy Riot more or less deserve what they got but i think in the long term it shows incredible weakness that he had to exploit this bizarre <laughs> quite crazy story you know to, to to boost his own popularity essentially i think that's true of extremist movements in general actually that when they're on when certain things are in the decline they become more and more radical and they use incidents like this for their own interests so hopefully that's the case yeah story. yeah so at one point in the film, you compared this trial uh, to one that took place in the 30s where a group was executed for speaking out against the government. And there are several people uh, who compare modern-day Russia to the height of the Soviet empire. Is that, is that sort of a common belief throughout the country? Do, do people think that this is the same as when it was, you know— the Soviet Union? No, in the film, um, uh, what you're referring to is there was a series of famous Moscow show trials between 1936 and 1938. And, uh, and the people were just accused of treason, basically, against the government and executed. And it became kind of a standard mechanism of the Stalinist era. And, you know, uh, when Mike and I were talking about the film and including this, it was an interesting thing. Because on the one hand, it's, it's, it's beyond historically irresponsible to compare what's happening in Russia today to the genuine terror of the Stalin years. But for us, the par but some people did, and also there is a strong parallel between this idea of a public spanking and public punishment, that these were public show trials, they were meant to be seen, they were meant to be shown as an, the women were meant to be used as an example for people who are stepping out of line or going against the defined social order. And so and I think that that's a really significant parallel between the two. Uh, so you weren't really trying to draw parallels between the current state of the Russian uh, government and how it was back. Well, no, we were documenting. I think Empire, that some but... people, uh, you know, obviously there's a woman holding an umbrella that says this is 1937 again. So we were making the fact that people were thinking this outside the courtroom, and we were trying to express the atmosphere of that. Yeah, I mean, mm. I think the important thing is the direction of travel, and you know, after the Soviet era. Obviously, Russia entered into a, a freer, more democratic phase. The reverse of that is happening. And, and as I say, in the last six months um, or so, perhaps, uh, um, you know, certain laws have been introduced that have curtailed freedoms that had been hard won. So, you know, those, we, ha we aren't back in, in the Soviet, in the Stalin era yet, of course. As Max says, that would be ridiculous to say that. But we are but the but the trend is has been reversed and 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 the and the undemocratic nature of a lot of these laws uh you know is is very worrying so you know um and and of course a lot of people in russia are worried by that you know freedom is always is taken is never given and it's and it's very easily taken away which it is being done and uh, and we have similar issues in in the west we i think it's important i think max would agree that you know we're not only really, I think this film is symbolic for 
the the fight for for freedom of speech in general and and we have in Britain and in USA that are, have been introduced over the last 10 years that have curtailed people's freedoms enormously and and their right to protest and their right to to say what they what they want um again it's it's not we're not in McCarthy era here but we are nearer to it than we ever were and you know these things are very worrying for anybody that it takes these things seriously and takes freedom of speech seriously then they should be worried by these trends and you know say so is, is an exaggerated moment perhaps but it's very indicative of the tendency i think towards the state's uh you know desire to curtail freedom and especially now with the new abilities for information gathering i mean that sort of the news of the last two weeks has been that so i think that's very it's, it, 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 i mean the story of pussy Ride is is zeitgeisty in so many different ways it's really quite unbelievable and one of the what that actually kind of leads me into my next question you use a lot uh of Twitter and like social media things in the film where you you post uh, you put like tweets from different people up. Now I'm assuming that Twitter and social media in general has a huge part of uh, Pussy Riot and getting the word out there. Um, you know, I mean, Pussy Riot are media artists, and for us, and that is their world. And you know how this story they go to places, they perform and they video themselves doing it, but then their artwork, so to speak, is putting a video on their live journal page and then seeing the kinds of the kind of social uh, response that can provoke. And I think that also um, that garnered a lot more attention in uh, beyond Russia as well. I mean, there's a lot of American people that are getting behind Pussy Riot and supporting them as well, which I think is crazy. I mean, that's right, and, and and this is true of a lot of other um, social revolutions going on. Of course, you know the the Arab Spring mm -hmm. very much predicated on this ability to uh, disseminate information very very quickly, whether it's uh, atrocity being committed or you know uh, or, or or plans to <laughs> stage protests, whatever this is, and you know we and. For better and for worse, we've seen um, the power of, of this new media to facilitate uh, reactions like this and revolutions like this. So, yeah, as Max said, I mean, um, the, the punk prayer exists online. That's what that's what it is. It's a piece of online art, essentially, and millions of people have seen it, consequently. Now, that would have been unthinkable 20 years ago, that a, a Russian avant-gardist performance group make a film of some sort. And how, you know, how the hell would they ever disseminate that? that work, you know, um, mm -hmm. we, we are living in exciting times. And of course, there are, there are many negatives too. But the um, but in this case, it's it, it's definitely the, the, the driver of the story. And also, it, it speaks to their to the to push, to the group's political beliefs as well, because, you know, ultimately, they're anti commodification of art, anti capitalist, uh, you know, left wing Marxist oriented. Uh, you know, radical thinkers, and that's and and in a way that culture I think has obviously. I mean, this is no news. Has benefited tremendously from from this. I think that the democratization of the internet has had se several forms of impact, but that's definitely been one of them. Is allowing those kinds of groups to be, to gain a certain kind of voice that they didn't have before. So, when you were filming this, uh, were you able to speak with them? Only briefly um, in the court before their court appearances, you get a sort of ten minute kind of break before the the, the court starts, where we, we we have brief conversations. So other than that, our communication was via their lawyers or or their support group. You know, Peter Nadia's husband is very much a kind of conduit for uh, for all of that. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so so not not really. <laughs> so that's why I mean the, the film is. You know, obviously, so uh, fortunate to have all this courtroom material, which which Max was very skillful in obtaining. Um, you know, which does give us these. Uh, you know, we're eavesdropping on the conversations between them. I mean, they they're held in separate cells. They they this is the first time they get together to con, con, you know to, to discuss their situation. You know, that has all been filmed and 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 given to us, fortunately. And of course, the the way they actually respond to in court gives a, a, a tremendous insight into why they did what they did and and what it is that they're hoping to achieve. So, you know, we you know that was a very uh, fortunate decision that they decided to stream not every day of the court of the trial, but I think six or seven days of the trial were streamed online, and then that material was was saved. <laughs> 
and and you know uh, through Max's powers of of schmooze and uh, you know we managed to um, to obtain Rushy Stores material, which has given us this. Well, you know, if the film is great, it's because of that. You know, I mean, that, that insight that we get to, to to understand these women and these private, these private, overheard conversations between them, which uh, obviously are very insightful. So, um, again, another reason to be thankful to the Kremlin for for this film. Well, you know, I mean, it was, and it's also good to be thankful to the to the Ria Novosti uh, team because not only did they film it, they filmed it incredibly well, and and you know, for a long time, as the tr awaiting trial, we we were discussing a lot of what the film could be because it wasn't really clear what would happen, and and it was a strange distinction because there was interesting things going on around the trial as well. But then, in a way, the burning question was, who are these three women that are on trial? And then they give this. You know, we often say that they that they turn their trial into a piece of performance art, and because they they do win by standing up for their convictions, by turning the trial into something so grandiose and so downright Greek that um, that that be, that that became a lot more fascinating. So once um, and also what's so rich about these moments is that because the three women were sitting on in different cells during the day, this was really the only time that they would have a chance to communicate. Uh, you know, on the bus ride from prison and inside these glass cages, and so the fact that that material existed was just the biggest gift for filmmakers. And that, that was kind of the one thing that I thought was so fascinating was, uh, like you said, you, you get kind of, uh, you, you kind of eavesdrop into the conversations that they're having in this this glass case where it seems like they just leave them in there for hours, it, it looks While like. While they're being photographed, yeah, because there was so much, and, you know, and there was so much press there they would be photographed for several hours while we would just wait in line uh, for all the journalists and the people sitting in the trial would wait in line while they would be photographed. And I think that, you know, they could pose for one or two photos, but eventually they just kind of give up on it and say, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it seems so ridiculous to me. Like, is it? It's very Kafka-esque. Yeah, it is very Kafka-esque. It's so bizarre. It is. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe it was it was real, and, and they're just there's all these cameras lined up, and they're just sitting there for forever, just taking pictures. Yeah, and God knows why they they recorded that material, and God knows why they kept that material, and God knows why ultimately it ended up in our hands. But it's, <laughs> it it did, and you know, obviously, I mean, I think this is one of the great trials of you know of all time. I mean, I think you know, it, it is I think as significant as a Dreyfus affair, or you know, the trial of Dostoevsky, or, or, or you know, all these great moments where art is put on trial and. Of course, you know, without being cliche about it, you have to ask yourself, you know, who is on trial? <laughs> and it, it clearly is the regime, and it's and it's punishing of three <clears throat> well-meaning, patriotic women who just seek to improve their 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 country. I mean, obviously, people ask, you know, Nadia, you know, Ma, you know, Marshall, you know, is it too great a sacrifice? You know, they they lost contact, lose contact with their children for two years, but they're doing it for their children. That's exactly why they are taking these risks and 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 you know, behaving in this way is because they hope to make Russia a better place for people to live in and and a more democratic and free place for their children. So, you know, and I, I you know, Max may I don't know how optimistic we're feeling today, but you know, in the in the long term. I think they will win, and I think they will change things. And I think a younger generation in Ros in Russia and around the world will consider what they've done and why they've done it, and and perhaps view things in a different way, and perhaps expect more from their society. And who knows, maybe find new ways of challenging it. If if whether that's to vote for someone else in the next election or to just you know create acts of their their own you know defiance uh, who knows but you know uh, i can't help thinking it it is it is a, a game changer to to use the cliche and, and well i mean and, and you know in terms of game changers it's it's funny because russia does have this tradition of these very very notable trials you know we just mentioned one of them in the film but then during the soviet era the trial of sinyavsky the trial of brodsky that both women mentioned in their closing statements have been these defining moments around which generation sort of coalesce afterwards and so I think that this trial will definitely go down in that way and I think that what it shows more than anything you know is that it's a kind of sy sy systemic failure 
on the part about it shows that and that's why the trial is also so important as a, as an idea because it shows how excessively punitive the justice system is and and again like many justice systems around the world you know nonviolent crimes are punished with jail sentences mm -hmm. and but the interesting thing is they they had to know that you know they were they were trying to set a, an example of of these three and, do, and would backfired. you say that <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean they would, played would you say they, they played right into pussy riot's hands exactly really? no i mean it's miraculous you know there's a there's a moment at the end of the film where there's a a woman on on a fence and she puts on a balaclava and immediately <laughs> and the police officers are sitting around these beefy kind of guys are sitting around waiting for her to, to do something and eventually she puts on a balaclava and she has a sign she starts uh, screaming and this is the official kind of the legal cutoff where then they, they can arrest it, her for un, sort of unsanctioned uh, prote protest or something like that and uh, and she starts to run away in this fence and they overreact and it, I think that it's a perfect visual metaphor for a whole story because you have the sort of clever uh, humorous women and then this kind of dumb brute male force <laughs> coming after it and overreacting completely and yeah and and to end the story what happens is she jumps down the other side of the fence into the turkish embassy so she actually is in suddenly she's in turkish territory and these coppers pursue her into into turkey and get into a lot of trouble for it so the whole thing in one bizarre moment again you've got this this whole national diplomatic incident almost you know it's uh, it's insane i mean yeah they seem to you know provoke uh incredible uh, what well, interest and and they seem to you know rile obviously they rile the the church and they rile the 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 state i think more than anything you know they just can't bear the fact that these three women have had the audacity to sort of challenge them this way it's it's, and it is, uh, to me, the, uh, the relationship between the judge, who's a woman in, in the court, and, and Masha in particular, is like an angry mother scolding a teenage daughter. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. I can't believe how rude they've been and how recalcitrant they are, and they just won't listen. <laughs> to it. it's, it's extraordinary level. I mean, it's so psychological, really, I think. I mean, the whole film is a kind of psychoanalysis of, of the state of Russia in many ways, and these very traumatic, you know, uh, uh, issues that Russia is still dealing with. I mean, obviously the relationship between state and religion and the, and the relationship between art and politics. I mean, all these things have been going on for, for, for a, a century at least or more, you know. And, and R Russians are masters of also overcompensating for everything or in terms of whether it's in art or in terms of political reaction or, or religious reaction. So I think that it just happens to, it's a country that really likes to move and, that's what sort of makes it exciting, but and and also kind of a bit crazy. You know, that it likes to move in these radical swerves. Yeah. So they they went to prison or a penal colony, which I guess is is that like a labor camp? Uh, yeah, they're in two different ones. Yeah, they're they're labor camps. So initially, meaning they have uh, like a trade school attached to them, and they, the women learn things like sewing police uniforms. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> So initially, all three of them went to jail for two two years. That was their sentence. Uh, however, um, one of them was released recently. And I read that uh, Maria, who is still in prison, she went on a hunger strike. That's over. For, she um, won big time. Yeah, I was just going to say. She uh, just won a big it, victory for them. And, and she's the hero of her labor camp now. Yeah, so it came out. Yeah, yesterday she went off the hunger strike, and I guess all her demands were met. And uh, yep. she was they even she took her on a eating. tour through the penal colony just to, uh, to show her uh, that her demands had been met. And so it was a kind of a rare moment of triumph in the story. People, yeah, so that's that's great. So, learn the lesson not to argue with Masha because they'll yeah, never, exactly. No, it's pointless exercise. I mean, our theory is that Masha is future president of Russia. I think you know, give her give her twenty years, she'll be in that country because uh, and 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 Russia will be better for it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems that way. <laughs> so the film is going to be uh, premiering on HBO June tenth. Um, is that correct? Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, part of the HBO summer documentary series, which I love so much. Mm, us too. Um, and this now this played uh, this played the festival circuit. I think it was at South by and uh, a couple other ones. Yeah, and um, I would say that the the reception's been pretty great for it so far. Wouldn't 
how have the reviews been coming in? Yeah, you know, great. we've been very happy, uh, you know, because the film was cut in such a in such a rush, and we actually continued editing it uh, after Sundance. And I think that both the responses, audience-wise, review-wise, have just gotten better and better. And I think people have gotten, I, and I've noticed that there's more of an increase on it, increased attention to the case as well. So. Yeah, I think that it turned out really good, and I love your uh, the zooming like title cards that you do throughout i think that those are great oh right you mean during their songs yeah uh-huh. yeah i think those are fantastic yeah. uh so i think that that wraps it up thank you so much guys for taking some time to speak with us thank you it's been a pleasure thank you very much thanks again guys be sure to check out the film next monday on hbo as part of their summer documentary series let's go ahead and jump right into some of what we've been watching I'll start it off this week. This is going to be kind of a truncated uh, version because we're a little short on time. Uh, I had a pretty light week this week. I started it off with a film called Dead Hooker in a Trunk. There you go. This is from 2009. This is the Sasuke sisters who uh, directed American Mary. This is a a Canadian horror film. Uh, (laughs) Sort of like uh, one of those modern grindhouse horror comedies. Uh, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was pretty terrible. I, I do like that you said it's Canadian horror. Is there a difference with it being Canadian horror? Or like, are they super friendly? I think it's no. I think it's notable. Anytime, uh, I think anytime a, a horror movie comes out from a different country, it's notable. Okay. Because I don't know. I think I feel like every country's horror movies have they have their own kind of tone. Yeah, that's true. Their own style. That's fair. So I, I figured it was of note. Oh. I think the movie takes place in Vancouver, so that's you know, worth mentioning. Uh, not a very good movie. It's You can tell that there was some talent behind it, but they weren't there budget-wise, and I think that it really suffered because of that. I mean, the movie looks like shit, and uh. it's not necessarily their fault. It's just they just didn't have the budget. And you could tell it was kind of like their first effort um i will say that i i enjoyed american mary a lot more than this so they're definitely getting better but i just think for their first movie it wasn't very good mm-hmm. so i would not recommend dead hooker in a trunk although i love the title and i love saying the title over and over because <laughs> i think it's hilarious dead hooker in a trunk uh saw so now you see me this is the one with uh, jesse eisenberg oh. woody harrelson Isla Fisher. How'd this pan out? Uh, not too good. Uh, not not too good, Kevin. They didn't make all the ridiculousness come together at the end. No, it came together. It was just it's just not a, good. in a very shit way, right? Yeah, like the whole. Yeah. Here's the thing: at the beginning of the movie, I was into it. Like they did this thing before the the opening titles, where they kind of introduced each of the four char- main characters. Mm-hmm. And kind of showed off what their specific skill is in magic. And it was like when they were being recruited for this, you know, when when the team was being put together. And I liked that. I thought that that was cool. I even liked the first big trick that they did. They show it in the trailer where they teleport the guy to the bank vault. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked that, too. Um, And then after they do that, Morgan Freeman plays this character that he kind of debunks um you know remember that like magic the secrets revealed thing he's like one of those guys and he kind of he shows how they did that trick and i thought that that was really cool then for their next trick it was even more like crazy and you're like how the hell did they do that and they don't explain it and from that point on they don't explain any of the stuff that they do Mm. and how they did it and i think that it's because they couldn't (laughs) yeah. <laughs> because it's just so ridiculous um and there were there were serious problems i liked all the characters but they were so underdeveloped and so underused that it was extremely disappointing i the full reviews on the site so you can Which check is, that out yeah i can imagine with a cast that big of stars and stuff and you know it's a hollywood movie so they like to keep things at a nice brisk pace you know they don't got, yeah, they don't got time for character development but the thing is, they focus so much on Mark Ruffalo's character and trying to catch them mm. that it really takes away from spending time <laughs> with the people that we actually that that are actually interesting. Yeah, 
which is, you know, the team, the four magicians. And um, it was really predictable. Like, I saw everything. There's a lot of twists, obviously. It's that kind of movie mm-hmm. where there's tons of twists. And I saw almost all of them coming. Uh, I predicted everything, nearly. Mm. It's a movie that's not nearly as smart as it as it wants you to think that it is. Yeah. So, that's I, yeah, that's I exactly how I figured it was going to be. I can't. Yeah, I can't recommend it. It just wasn't very good. Uh, I, and then I saw two oscilloscope films, uh, Only the Young, which is a documentary. These are both playing on demand right now. Only the Young, which is a documentary about these teenagers growing up in this kind of shell of a town in uh, Southern California. And it's I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Mm. The cinematography is really, really good. Uh, I would compare it to something like Bombay Beach. Oh, okay. Where it's like, I mean, the movie itself feels like it's kind of like an MTV uh, True Life episode, where it's just about these... Just slice of life, just following around. Yeah, it's about these two high... Three three high school kids. Two of them are best friends, and they're skateboarders, and then um, the girlfriend of one of them, and then they go through a breakup, and there's, like, some drama in there. So, like, when you hear that premise, you're like, eh, eh, you know, that doesn't sound too entertaining, but the way that it's filmed and the way that it's made, it is extremely entertaining, and I liked it a whole lot. It was it was great. It had a really great soundtrack too, so I, I definitely recommend that. And then I also saw a movie called Kid Thing, which is also an oscilloscope film. Uh, this uh, I didn't like this quite quite as much, but it is still kind of an interesting watch. It's directed by David Zellner. He's um he's an actor also. He's in like Ain't Them Body Saints, and he's in a he's in a lot of stuff. And this is basically about this girl who has these, I don't know where her mom is. She's gone. The dad is raising her and he's like basically a drunk. He's not even taking care of her at all. And she's just kind of on her own. And it sort of shows the effects of kids that don't grow up with any kind of structure or or moral compass. And she ends up, basically the whole movie is just her doing awful things to people and things. Like she (laughs) she destroys things. She shoots people with a paintball gun. She throws things at cars. Um, And then one day she's in the woods. She finds an old woman that's stuck in a well. And it's just kind of about her deciding if she should rescue this woman or just leave her there. (laughs) Gotcha. It's pretty depressing, but again, this one is pretty pretty well shot as well. So I would say it's worth checking out. Kid thing. I think I think that you you would probably like Kid Thing. I'm not sure if you would like Only the Young. Uh, no, I don't think I would like Only the Young. I think I would probably really, would enjoy Kid Thing to an extent. Yeah, uh, that's that's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah, I had a light week as well. I did watch a lot of surrealist stuff, though. Which uh, started out with <clears throat> Maya Daring, the experimental filmmaker from the 40s and 50s. And the reason I did this is because one of her her first short film, Meshes of the Afternoon, is considered like one of the greatest short films ever by anyone. And most definitely by a female director. And Meshes of the Afternoon was amazing. 10 out of 10. Absolutely loved it. Perfect in every sense. Uh, all the other ones that I watched were awful. And mm. they're, you know, at land, a studying choreography for camera, ritual and transfigured time. Meditation on violence is essentially 12 minutes of a guy doing Wu-Tang shadow boxing, which mm. sounds interesting, right? No, it's just 12 minutes of this guy doing it. And that's it. So, of course, it feels like just three hours of it to the point where I just wanted to turn it off. I wanted to end it. And there's one other one, The Very Eye of Night, which was also extremely disappointing. Uh, Everything's very repetitive 
just sort of the same things over and over again. And the very eye of night is something that you would hate. I know I I would love for you to watch it to see how much you would hate it. It's essentially a ballet, but of course an experimental ballet, shot in negative, set against uh, a starry black and white sky. And the camera just like floats around. And, you know, when I say experimental ballet, it's essentially them just like spinning around and picking each other up. And that's about it. And it's it's got awful. And it's, for, it's like 15 minutes of that. And it just, it feels like three hours, all of these, except for Meshes of the Afternoon. All of them, just very repetitive. They just take forever. And there's nothing really of note cinematography-wise. Nothing that, like, stands out that makes you go, okay, well, I don't like this, but I can understand why people enjoy this or why she gets so much praise. I just, I didn't see it. Like I said, besides the first one that she did as a collaboration with her husband. And then I find out that Stan Brackage, of course, the experimental filmmaker, said that the husband did most of the work and it was really his film. And then, of course, he got upset with all the praise and recognition that went to Maya and essentially destroyed their marriage. And mm. I sort of understand what's going on here. Like I said, it could be complete conjecture on the part of Brackage, but when that's the only one that sticks out after watching all of these and all the other ones are just absolutely terrible, there is a part of me that thinks that it was more her husband's film and not hers. I see. So I would definitely I would check out Meshes of the Afternoon, which is probably on YouTube somewhere. Everything else, just completely bypass it. Don't ever watch it, because there's nothing good there. And then, of course, I got the follow-up, that surrealism with the Oregonian, which we can talk about later, I guess, or that's coming up with Ryan's thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. But this was just absolutely insane. Just bizarre occurrence after bizarre occurrence. And I thoroughly enjoyed the, the sound design and the music and everything. Gave it a really unsettling atmosphere to it, which I thought was great. Uh, then the I rewatched. I did a rewatch of the campaign. You remember that sucker? Yeah. 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 That was not funny at all. Second time around. <laughs> I can't imagine it would because yeah. I, didn't, I don't think I found it that funny the first yeah, time around. I didn't either. But I thought I would chuckle here and there, and I'm just like, wow, this is bad for everyone involved. It was just so awful. I mean, there was a couple of things, like the fact that Zach Galifianakis wears pleated jeans. That made me laugh. That got a good chuckle out of me. And mm-hmm. the, and his fanny pack. But other than that, nothing. And the the whole, what was it, the jaggly jungle gym side plot or backstory. Yeah. Oh, my God, that was just I, for, I forgot. That was so terrible. I, completely, I forgot about yeah, it, I, too. I forgot about <laughs> it, too. And then I was like, oh, shit, that's right. That was in this movie. This is awful. Um, and then I watched a bizarre documentary called Garlic as Good as Ten Mothers, and this is directed by Les Blank, who uh probably best known for Burden of Dreams, where he documented uh Herzog mm-hmm. making Fitzcarraldo. And this movie is bizarre because this came out in like nineteen eighty, and apparently during that time there's this huge explosion of garlic lovers and people getting like really into garlic in America. Which is bizarre because now you just think of garlic, or I do anyways, garlic is just like salt to me. Like everyone uses garlic and everything. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of odd to see like the genesis of it and seeing how freaked out these people got over garlic and they thought that they were really eating something extremely exotic. And it's also kind of odd because of all like the farmers and stuff that grow it. And of course, this is mostly taken around in like San Francisco. They, it could essentially be today it could be 2013 i mean they're all hipsters really they're all doing the uh organic farming they're really into that and doing you you know uh the co-op farming and all that stuff and just some uh, really eccentric characters that really love garlic sorry when did you say this came out 1980 oh, okay and uh it's pretty interesting you know, to see it. I mean, it's only 50 minutes. So it's a nice, brisk documentary that's enjoyable. I'm, especially for me, because I'm, I'm like a big food guy. I love cooking and stuff. So it was interesting. I'm going to be... This is, uh, I think, the HBO Summer Documentary Series is going to be starting up here. I I wonder if... I don't know if 
if uh, Pussy Riot's starting that series or not, but that's going to have me pretty much booked as far as documentaries because it's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I they can, have a lot. Oh, yeah. I can There's it. a big lineup this year. Yeah, I can definitely understand that because usually HBO's documentaries are all pretty stellar. Oh, yeah. I love them. I watch every single one of them every year. They're always. Even the ones that, that like don't even interest me that much are still awesome. Let's go ahead and jump into our summer movie predictions. We do this every year where the three of us kind of uh, place a gentleman's wager. Which I... I don't know. What, what is a gentleman's what a, wager? What are wagering? I don't know. Nothing. Are we going to have a duel afterwards? Yes. Sure. A yes. three-way duel? Yeah, let's have a duel. Whatever. <laughs> um, so basically, we're going to predict the top ten grossing films of this summer i know we're a few weeks late on this a little but bit a little bit yeah, it's all right whatever it's it's still i think it's still too early to tell what's gonna what it's gonna be now just to recap last year <laughs> kev kevin beat me by one point so oh. i'm looking looking for a comeback this year i but, lost uh, ryan yeah man sort of a given yeah like <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah, I think you had like 40 points, and I had like 51 or something. Kevin had 52, something like that. Uh, We're basing, we're scoring this off of um, time, what's it called? I I keep forgetting the site. It's like time travel reviews or something like that. They do a a summer movie poll. We're just stealing the rules from them. Oh, yeah? Uh, So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Do you want to, let's just start with our number ones, get it right out there. Ryan? The Lone Ranger. Oh, Lone, Lone Ranger. Ranger number one, huh? Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's all my list. It's on my list as well. This was I. Yeah. This was a lot harder than last year. Yeah, I, I agree. Because we well, could, we cut it off in August, right? I have a, I have a feeling that well, the, you guys are going to have films that I didn't even think about, and it's going to be a mess. Well, well, the thing is, any, anything that's coming out in August has less of a chance of winning because if the cutoff is at the end of August or whenever the, the, the official summer movie season ends, those movies aren't going to be in theaters as long. So yeah, they're at a, they're at a disadvantage anyway. And I mean, the, the, the clear, cut, clear cut number one in this whole thing doesn't come out in the summer, which is very, seems to be a new trend now where they're coming out with the big blockbusters more into the fall. What's the clear cut one for you? Hunger, what you, Hunger what you, Games. Your... Hunger Games would be the clear cut. That, but yeah, but that's not summer. Though. That's what, that's, that's what I'm come... saying. That's what I'm saying. That would beat any movie that we're gonna have on this list. It's just uh... it's sort of it's sort of different to the, how they're sort of coming out later in the year. I don't or think the... I don't think the Hunger Games is gonna beat Iron Man, and I ha- I have Iron Man as number one. Oh, you don't think it'll beat? I think it'll beat Iron Man. I, I don't think it will. Oh uh, yeah, your number one. Yeah. I have Man of Steel as my number one. I have Man of Steel as my number two. Ryan, what's your number two? Man of Steel. Man of Steel. And Kevin, Ooh. what's your number two? Uh, Iron Man 3. Uh, okay. So, so right there, that's so what it's going to come down to between me and you. Probably, yeah. All right, number three. Ryan, what do you got? Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim? Mm. That's on my list. A little bit lower. Mm. Kevin? I have Monsters University. I have Monsters University as well for number three. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's going to be huge. Yes, Every, and I was, everyone I was, loves that. I was looking back at some previous summers, and it seems like the trend in over the last few years has been Superman or not Superman superhero stuff hitting the top spots, followed by an animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that seems to be the trend. Yeah. So, and you got to say, I mean, that's... the enjoyment level for monsters. Inc. and Monsters University is so wide-ranging. Like, everyone loves Monsters, yeah, Inc. Of course. Families are going to take their kids to see it. I mean, everyone's yeah. going to go see this damn thing. I'm going to go to... See? Right there. Ryan's going to see the damn thing. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to see it, too, because I uh, loved the first one. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. I believe we're at number four. Ryan, oh. what do you have for number four? World War Z. World War Z. I hope that's not true. I don't. I that's not even on my list actually. I'm sick and tired of that. <laughs> the trailer oh, in every God. movie you go see. 
Hate it. Um, I have Fast and Furious 6. Mm. I do not have that on my list. I have uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Fast and Furious, man. It's I know. I was thinking about huge. putting it on there. It is huge. Um, and I think that it's mostly... I think that they came out and said it's the, the Hispanic demographic is mm. eating this movie up. And when you think about it, though, the interesting thing about the Fast and Furious movies is that it is such a, a diverse film. You know what I mean? Like, you have every race, every gender, every ethnicity, and it, it has that kind of universal appeal for a lot of people. Joe. It's going to make the sound. Sell. Sell. We'll wait. We'll wait for it. Sell. Sell, Ryan. I'm not even going to answer it. Because I know all they want to do is buy my stock. They're just going to lower price. I swear to God, if they just keep calling and calling. <laughs> no, I lost them. Oh, there it is. Okay. Number five, what do you have, Ryan? Uh, The Wolverine. The Wolverine? Okay, that's on my list, too. A little bit lower. Kevin, mm-hmm. what do you have? I have the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger? Again, on my list, a little bit lower. I have This Is The End. Mm. Um, usually, I think that there's usually an R-rated comedy on the top ten in the that's summer. That's what right? I was thinking, though. And I think, uh, I mean, last year, Ted was like number four or something. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, so, it seems like it's been getting a lot of good reviews, too. Yeah. Um, and I, I have it on my list, but lower. Yeah, the I believe the embargo has been lifted on reviews, so they're starting to come in, and I think that a lot of people are loving this movie, so I think that it'll be Plus he, def, definitely somewhere on the list. And I've been talking about it for weeks and weeks now, Yeah, and I know other people are, too. You're just dying for a comedy. You want you want a good comedy. How long oh, yeah. has it been? My God. Since last summer yeah. when Twenty One Jump Street and Ted came out. I can't take it. Uh okay, number six. Ryan, what do you got? Fast and the PSX. Ooh. Alright, Kevin, what do you got? Pacific Rim. I have Star Trek into Darkness. Um I think that those I think all three of those are definitely going to be on this list somewhere. Mm. I'm starting to get worried that I don't have Fast and Furious 6 on mine. But, come on, America. I, I don't don't know. let me down. It could slow down. I don't know. Come on. It, but it's too fast and too furious. Six times. Fa- Six times. That would be 12. 12 fast, 12. <laughs> all right. Number seven. We got Ryan. The Hangover Part 3. No. That, that's... That's probably not going to be on the list. I should say the Rambler. Yeah, but no, Kick Ass Two. You have Kick Ass Two. I have Kick Ass Two as number seven. I was gonna put that on my list, but that comes out pretty late. Does it? I mm. I was mm-hmm. thinking about it. I mean, I I want to see it. I'm excited for I it. I think it but does come out like right near the end. I see. I, I, did, I didn't take that stuff into account. Yeah, I don't know if I did last year, but I actually looked this year. So, um. I have the Wolverine as number seven. Mm. You know, I think I think people are going to see it regardless, uh, but I don't think as many people will see it because of the bad taste they have in their mouth from the last one. Yeah. But then again, it's if it's good, superhero movies, man. If it's good though, it it could potentially go way up on the list because as soon as like those early reviews start coming out, if it if it turns out good. You know, it has a lot of potential, but it that's if it's good. Uh, number eight, what do you have, Ryan? 300 Rise of the, M- Rise of an Empire. Please say that again. 300. 300. No, no, I want him. Basically, is 300. I thought that, is that even coming out? I thought that got pushed back. Uh, according to IMDb, it comes out in August. Are we going to have another G.I. on our hands? <laughs> They really uh, well, fucked me last year. Well, I think it <laughs> fucked all of us. We got, all three of us had GI Joe on there. Yeah, but I don't know if 300's coming out this summer. I I, I, I did see it on there. It, but well, I, I know I that. Um, but I do remember hearing something about it being pushed back. Yeah, it did get it, the date got changed, but I don't know. Um, I have Pacific Rim 
I'm hoping that that's actually going to be higher. I'm kind of hoping I'm wrong on that, but I have, and I hope I'm wrong on mine, which I have a feeling I'm going to be. But I have planes. Oh God, <laughs> planes. <laughs> I think that that's going to make a lot more money than it should. You know, it's uh, yeah, supposed to be straight to DVD. Yeah, I know. I just, for whatever reason, I just feel as though these things, I mean, you have all your fans. They're going to take their kids. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I hope yeah. this kickstarts Val Kilmer's career. <laughs> or Dane Cook. Reinvigorates Dane Cook. <laughs> or Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett. <laughs> or Sinbad. Could be Sinbad. Oh my lord, are you kidding me? Alright. Stellar, stellar, stellar cast. Number nine, Ryan, what do you got? Monsters University. I think that's going to be way higher than nine, but I have the Lone Ranger. Mm, I have the Wolverine. Okay. Solid. Uh, number ten, what do you got, Ryan? Iron Man 3. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You left now. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> Just wait for what? <laughs> wait until the end of summer. <laughs> what you think it's, dude? I'm I'm sorry, but it, it I, is it has it made a billion? I think it's gonna. It's on point to make a billion dollars. <laughs> oh my god! I'm trying to think of what were some of the other ones that he said. Uh, yeah, I read Lone already. Ranger. He has Lone Ranger at number one, and I have it at number nine. So that's pretty far off. Uh, What's the one that he said that seems a little off? Three hundred. Yes, three hundred. You think three hundred is going to make more than Iron Man three? Wow, wow, that would be insane if he's completely correct. Oh, I would completely. I would lose, lose faith I would lose in it. everything. I would lose it. Um, I have number as number ten, Despicable Me Two. Oh, I have. Uh, this is the end. Yeah, I think. Um, really, I think Despicable Me Two. It's. I I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. But I'm really hoping that America is sick and tired of those minions. But I have a feeling that they're not. Kids love them. Kids, kids, kids love, love anything them. that's fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Kids. Kids. So there you have it. That's our predictions for the top <laughs> ten. Iron Man three. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to come back to this. We'll we'll uh we'll reconvene. I, in, I'm definitely uh, not. I'm not definitely not feeling confident about mine. I think I think you might be the winner, Adam, this year. I hope so. That'd be nice. It's, and then, well, th- I hope I win just so. For year three, we can have a, a crazy, you know, rivalry tiebreaker. Right. I hope I <laughs> thank you both. <laughs> Actually, I do too. I hope Ryan wins. I, I really do. I love the fact that we just completely print Ryan off. Well, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah. I, I hope that he does win. I think that that would be so fun. If he hit every one of them. I would. Every one of them was a dead-on match. I will absolutely lose it if his yeah. Iron Man 3 comes okay let's talk about some predictions we have last week uh we predicted after earth i said 12 you said 58 mm. actual what is it i think hold on i gotta pull this i think thing it was up. a 12 it was either yes 12 yeah. <laughs> there you have it. Got it oh man so apparently kind of a train wreck oh. i think do you think that that's going to be it is that it for uh, Shyamalan? Um, I have a feeling. Yeah, pretty much. Because, I mean, the only reason he got After Earth done was because Will Smith took Will it Smith. to him and said, yeah. I want you to do this. Uh, Ryan, what do, you, what, do you, uh, what do you think? Is is uh, M. Night done? Let's hope so. I didn't yeah. even see this movie, but... No, I didn't see it. I don't hear a good thing. Uh, we gave it a three out of ten on the site. I so. read one good review, and it was very bizarre. They they likened it to like Aguirre Wrath of God, which is like a Herzog absolute classic, and like a bunch of other films that are absolute classics. It was it's extremely bizarre. 
I read a counterpoint. Um, now, Twitch came out with their review, and they, they ripped it apart, uh, but then they came out with a counterpoint review that kind of was being nice to it, but I don't know. Uh, then we have Now You See Me. I said 46. You said 60. Actual on that was 43. 43? I got, yeah, I got close. I got close with both my predictions last week. Mm. Next week, we have The Internship. Oh, thank God. Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, Google, what could go wrong? Again, I cannot wait for a comedy. I'm dying for a comedy. What are you thinking on the internship? Zero. It should get a fucking zero. <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, zero? Huh? Ryan? Is, I'm gonna, it, looks pretty, it looks pretty funny, but it's rated B-13. And right there, that tells me that all the best stuff is in the trailer. It's usually how it works. Well, if if all the best stuff is in the trailer, <laughs> exactly. God help us. Exactly. Zero. Ke- all right, Kevin's saying zero. Ryan, what are you saying? Uh, 20. 20? Oh, that's probably around what I was going to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll jump lower and say 14. I just, I, it looks terrible. It's like. such a, no, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, then we have the Purge. This is that uh, horror movie with Ethan Hawke. Uh, I hope, I hope that this is good, but I have a feeling that they're really not going to capitalize on the whole premise. Do you know what I mean? Like the premise of the film is that in the future there's one day out of the year where all crime is legal, and I think that that's a really interesting concept, but. I have a feeling that in this particular movie, they're only going to focus on this whole home invasion thing that's going on. Yeah. And so I'm going to say like 40, uh, 43. It's going to be your standard home invasion movie with a backstory that's refreshing that they won't utilize at all because they just want to make the same old fucking movie again. Yep. I think that it's probably going to be worse than a 43, but Kevin, what are you thinking? I'm thinking like a 36. Ryan, any interest 50. in the purge? I'm, real, I'm actually really interested because I like the idea of the movie. Yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, this is also directed by the guy who did Daywalkers, which was that other Ethan Hawke uh, vampire movie, and I actually like that quite a bit. Yes, I like that a lot. I was surprised that at how enjoyable that was so oh i mean hopefully it'll be cool i did think it was funny how the guy's mask like the the villain the mask is basically just a mask of him like his face looked like the mask (laughs) (laughs) so it's like you're wearing a mask of your own face nice why why wear a mask anyway if it's the purge and everything is legal anyway yeah man that's one of the plot twists uh, Maybe you have to wear a mask. Again. Oh, I bet you. I, I bet you. The plot twist is because who's who's the killer? Who's the victim here? Is Ethan Hawke the victim? No, it's um, it's somebody that they let into their house. But I mean, okay, so they let someone in. And this person starts attacking them. No, um, they let someone in. What's the home invasion thing? Okay, so they let someone into their home who is running away from the group of people that is ends up invading their home. Ah, okay. Gotcha. So, I don't know. It's hopefully... I was going to say, oh, this is going to be the, the year before when this day you could do anything. Ethan Hawke did something to somebody, and now they're getting payback. That could be. They're just yeah. waiting for the day to come around. I'll I don't let, think that that's going to be what it is. I in real life. <laughs> I want there to be a day where I can just go out and fuck shit up. I'm pretty sure if that was real life, <coughs> you would not last <coughs> that long, Pro- right? Probably not. <laughs> You're right. All right. We also have um, Much Ado About Nothing and Wish You Were Here opening in select cities. I did get to see Wish You Were Here, and that was pretty good. Joel Edgerton. 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 Joey Edgerton. Um, DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, June 4th, 2013. We have A Good Day to Die Hard. Probably skip that. The Identity Thief. Probably skip that. Ryan, you saw that, right? Yeah, it was fucking stupid. Mm. Mm. Disappointing. Disappointing. My guess would be 
you're probably better off just watching Arrested Development on Netflix. There you go. Perfect. Uh, it's a disaster, which I didn't like. I think a lot of that got better reviews <laughs> than I thought it would. Yes, it I did. Was, I was surprised by that. Did you Did you see it? No, it looks it's it looks bad. I didn't Sorry, like it. Look, it looks bad. I have no yeah, interest in it whatsoever. I didn't really like it that much. Uh, and then also Warm Bodies, which is that zombie zombie comedy. Zomedy. Zomedy. Which I was a little lukewarm on. It was okay. I love zombies. I'm going to watch it just because I know this made me watch that other movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Otto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Any uh, Criterions coming out? Uh, I have two things that should be Criterions, and that's Adventure Time, Complete First yes. sec- first Season, and Complete Second Season. Are yeah, they I think, sh- those should be on Criterion. I think they're both coming out as a... Both on Blu-ray, yeah. I think. Yeah. What more do you want? Actually, I just got... I just bought a 3DS yesterday, and I got the Adventure Time game for 3DS. And it's amazing. And it is amazing. It's just like Zelda. They yes. made it exactly like Zelda, and it is so good. It's, I, 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 love, I love it. Kevin, love you it. know Mondo Poster says uh, Adventure Time Poster? I saw one. Yeah, that's a, they, they had like two months. Yeah, they can't seem to sell that one. They had a whole bunch because they did a whole gallery. They did uh, an Adventure Time gallery. That's amazing. And they had a ton, and they they sold through all of them except that one. Yeah, everyone should have an Adventure Time gallery. I agree. I I love that show. I think it's just so incredible. Can't get enough of it. I think that that wraps it up. Yes. I think so. Yeah, there is yeah. actually no criterions. There's okay. none whatsoever. Mm. They're taking taking a week off, I guess. Taking a week off. That's okay. They probably it. probably because out of respect for Adventure Time coming out. Uh, I bet yeah. you any money. That's why they did it. Yeah, I think that'll be good. All right. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email, feedbackfilmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net, and be sure to rate us on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. I'm Kevin. Adam, Ryan. And we will see you on Wednesday. See you later. <laughs> uh, I love it. That's, I love it. That's my close talk. That's my favorite one ever. Shit. <laughs> 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 <laughs>